The title of today's message is Secret Power Now. I actually changed it a little bit. I sent the team the, the title and I called it Secret Power, but we need the word now. We need the word now. So Secret Power Now. Somebody said now. Put it in the chat. Somebody said now. Secret Power Now. We're going to begin today with Psalm 51, 12. We're in the book of Psalm, chapter 51, verse 12. This is the word of God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This is, these are the words and prayer of King David. He prays to the Lord, restore to me the joy. Come on. Somebody said joy. joy. I want you to understand that's our key word. One of our key words today, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Amen. So, again, these are the words uh, of King David. This is a prayer of King David that he is praying in a time of personal crises in his life. And when, whenever we mention King David, of course, uh, King's, King David's life is famous. Uh, he's the one. He was the one that was chosen by God to be king over Israel. He is the one that God used to defeat Goliath. He is the one that saved Israel all by himself, single-handedly through that victory. But as we know, David is not just known for his successes, but he is also known for his failures too. And this is the point in his life in which this prayer comes. It comes in a time of his great failure. And yet... Despite all of his failures and weaknesses, David continues to be a celebrated figure of faith. He is regarded as the greatest king that Israel ever had. He is regarded as a man after God's own heart, even to this day. Because God can use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Can we get an amen? God can use the foolish things to shame the wise. You see, God's power was made perfect in David's weaknesses. His power was made perfect in David's life. And the good news for us today is that it can be made perfect in our lives as well. Now, when King David wanted to fix his life, when he wanted to fix his relationship with God, he prays here for the joy of salvation. The joy of salvation. I take this to mean that the reason why David's life got messed up, the reason why his relationship with God fell apart was because he lost this joy. Because he lost that joy, that's why he's praying for it to be restored. It would be like a married couple... See, sometimes, or a lot of times, a lot of married couples feel like their marriage is lost because they have lost the joy in their marriage. And so King David understands that the key that he needed, the key that he lost, was the joy of salvation. Now, today, uh, people write all kinds of books, 
and it's and uh, and it's easy to find books that will say something like the secrets to a happy marriage or the secrets to success. And I want to say that the joy of salvation is the secret. It is the secret. Salvation joy. The joy of salvation. Salvation joy is the secret to being a Christian. It is the secret to being a happy Christian. It is the secret to being a successful Christian. What I mean by successful Christian is not necessarily making a lot of money, but I am successful in walking in God's will for my life. If that's what you want to be, a successful Christian, then the secret is joy. If you want to be a faithful Christian, a growing Christian, if you want to be a powerful Christian that God can use, if you want to be a holy Christian, then the secret is joy. The secret is joy. You see, there is radical, life-changing power in joy. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of Christians don't realize that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy. Somebody said joy. Some for, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How could he endure the cross? Because of the joy. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Matthew 13, 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his, somebody said it, joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. When the man found the treasure, the joy it caused is what caused him to sell all he had for that treasure. See, this is a metaphor for the Christian life. When Jesus called his disciples, the Bible says that they left everything, just like the man, selling everything. They left everything and followed him. You see, this is the way that the Christian life should be lived. This is the way the Christian life should be, to leave everything, to surrender everything, and to follow Jesus. But even the disciples, even the disciples who seem like they were such perfect models of what it means to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Even with these guys, it doesn't take very long to realize that they are not perfect. It doesn't take long to realize that although it did seem like they had given up everything for Jesus, they really didn't. Although it seemed like they were surrendered completely outwardly, they were actually not completely surrendered inwardly. They still had weaknesses. They still needed to grow. And what they really needed still, what they still needed is what we still need today, which is joy. Joy. That same joy that the man had when he found the treasure in the field and the same joy that David needed when he repented, we still need that joy. See, joy is strong. Joy is strong. The joy of the Lord is strong and it gives strength. It is powerful and it gives power. 
It gave power to Jesus. When he had to go to the cross, when he was praying, Oh God, take this cup from me. It was the power of joy. The Bible says that the joy from God gave Jesus the power to carry his cross. And it will give you the same power today to carry your cross for God. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our God. God, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. A lot of Christians are walking around with weak faith, with weak hope, with weak joy. They feel weak. Why? Because they do not have the joy of the Lord. God's joy will give you power. Amen? God's joy will give you power to have faith. It will give you power to have your hope. It is the fuel for these things so the question is it's like what are you basing your hope on what are you basing your peace upon right are you basing your peace and your joy on the things of this world are you basing it on yourself that is weak fuel that is weak power real power is the joy of the lord the joy of the lord wants to give power to your hope to your peace to your vision to your calling the joy of the lord is power it is power. It is the secret power of the Christian. So where does joy come from? Where does the joy for the Christian come from? You know, you can look at business people and, and say, I know where joy comes from for you, making money. You look at the student, I know where joy comes from you. It is making the grades and getting into the school that you want. I, I, you can look at other people and know where their joy comes from. The question is, but where does the joy of the Christian come from? And the answer is God. God himself. God himself, if you didn't know this or realize this, the Christian joy, our joy is God himself. Who he is, is our joy. He is the reason we live. He is the reason we have joy. But it is through salvation that we can have that joy. You see, it's through salvation that we can enjoy God. God becomes our joy through the joy of salvation. And the joy of salvation is the secret power of the Christian life now. Amen? Somebody said secret power. Secret power. God's about to unlock some secret power in your life. It is the joy of salvation. Amen? Amen. And so with the rest of our time, I want to I wanna explain to you why our salvation is so joyful, why we should have joy, or why can we have joy in our salvation. And depending on the time, it might be two, and, uh, but if we have time, it will be three. <laughs> so two or three reasons why there is joy in salvation. Number one, number one. The first reason is this, our need, our need, our need, you know. Uh, there's, uh, there's joy, of course, in getting what you need. If you need something and you get it, you're happy. If you need uh, a car and you get it, you're happy. If you need a job and you get it, you are happy. And so there's joy in getting what we need. And so that's why there's joy in salvation, because actually there is nothing we need more, right? Before you're saved, the thing that you need the most more than a car, more than money, more than education, more than a boyfriend, more than a girlfriend, more than an education or a degree. The thing that we need most in life is salvation. This is what the Bible teaches us. 
Mark chapter 8, verses thir- verse 36. Mark 8, 36. It says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What good is it? The Bible is explaining to us, God, in, in, from His infinite perspective, is telling us, your soul, your soul is the most important thing. Your soul, if you lose your soul, everything else is meaningless. In the end, no matter what you have in this life, there's a t-shirt that said, you know, you can't take it with you. <laughs> Whatever you gain in this life, when you die, you can't take it with you. You can't take the cars, you can't take the fame, you can't take the money, you can't take any of it with you. None of it is going to matter in the end if you lose your soul. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? In the end, it will be all meaningless if you do not have your soul. And that's what salvation is, is the saving of our souls, is the saving of our souls. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned, all have sinned. Come on, underline that, highlight that, mark that, don't forget that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you think you're an okay person, you are wrong. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Sort of. Sort of. You know, when we compare ourselves as humans, yes, there's good in people, of course. Some people are good. In fact, I meet a lot of non-Christians who are a lot nicer and better and more gooder, <laughs> if that's a real word, more gooder than actual Christians. But when we say that, that there is nobody good, that when the Bible says that all fall short of the glory of God, what we're talking about is that the real standard, actually, of goodness is not us. It is God. And God is so holy. He is so good. And we pale in comparison. The Bible says that all have sinned. Even the best of us. Even the most Mother Teresa of us. All are sinners. All fall short of the glory of God. And so nobody deserves salvation. Nobody deserves to be accepted by God. Nobody, nobody, not even the best, nicest, kindest, your teacher, your auntie, your mom, your dog, I don't care, the most sweetest, the cutest things in the world, your alpaca, it could be anything that we think is so good when it comes to being accepted, when it comes to salvation, all fall short of the glory of God and we don't deserve it. And that's what makes our salvation so good. That's what makes it so sweet that we cannot, that we didn't deserve it and we, can, we could never earn it. We were all destined to hell. We were all destined. There was nothing. There was nothing. You think there was something you could have done, done about it, but it's because you don't understand who God is and how holy he is. To think that our good works to, could get us into heaven is evidence that we truly don't understand the real the realness, the real holiness of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hallelujah. So the good news is that salvation is free. It's free to everyone and anyone, anyone who is willing to humble themselves and say, yes, I need a Savior. Yes, I repent of the bad things I've done, but I also repent of the good things I've done because what I'm saying is I do not trust my good works to save me. I do not trust my good works to make me acceptable or lovable to God. I repent of it all. I come to Jesus. Salvation is free to anybody. 
anybody who will put their faith in Christ because Jesus paid it all. Jesus died the death we should have died. He paid for our sins. He stood in our place. He took our place and gave us his place. He took our place, gave us his place. As one person said, God treated Jesus like a sinner so he could, so he could treat sinners like Jesus. God treated Jesus like a sinner so he could treat sinners like Jesus. And as humans, the problem is with humans is that we have this ability to quickly forget things. We quickly forget the good things. We, we quickly forget how blessed we are, how fortunate we are. When something good happens, it's like hubba bubba chewing gum. You know what hubba bubba chewing gum is? It's like it tastes so good, but after 10 seconds, the flavor is gone, right? That's, that's the human fallacy, right? We, we quickly forget how blessed we are. We, we forget what's important. We forget the important things in life. We get up we get caught up in other things and things that we think or feel like is important. But again, salvation should remind us every day of how blessed and privileged we are. It should remind us that this world is not our home. Our home is Jesus. Our destiny is heaven. And, and to, be, to spend eternity with God, not just tomorrow, but today. Today, even now. Right? It should remind us that there is a greater reality than the physical reality that we as Christians are a part of. That, that which is our reality. Right? Salvation should remind us that every day we have crossed over from death to life, from eternal darkness to eternal light. We have gone from being children of darkness to children of God. We have gone from eternal rejection to eternal acceptance and favor and love from God. Amen? So may we remember this today and every day. Let us remember what a great and wonderful, undeserved salvation, undeserved salvation that we have in Christ Jesus undeserved undeserved you know and so I want to say two things before we move on number one you don't deserve it remember that see a lot of I think religious Christians or well-meaning Christians we, we 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 don't realize it but some part of us thinks well but I am you know I'm not I'm, I'm good I'm kind of good I'm better than them I'm better than her I'm better than, I'm not you know I'm not doing those kinds of bad things and, and there's still some part of the secretly secretly thinks that we kind of earned it and we kind of deserve, you know, to go to heaven and, and not to hell. But if you really meditate, and I want to challenge you to do this, really meditate on the holiness of God, it will really humble you to the point where you understand, no, right? Apostle Paul said, I'm holy, but man, I realize none of it matters, all of it he actually uses the word dung, right, poop. He's like, it's all poop in comparison to God. None of it can save me. And then the other thing I want to say before we move on is this, is that when we, we talk about the undeserved grace and the undeserved love and the undeserved salvation, you know, there's two ways you can respond to this. And some people respond to this, you're like, oh, guilt, right? You're right. You got to do better. Be a better Christian, you know? You didn't deserve his love. You didn't deserve salvation. What are you doing, you know? Why are you still setting why are you still so selfish you should change you know and then the other way to respond to this is joy is joy you're like man you're right i didn't deserve this like kids on christmas yay right you ever see those videos on youtube there's this kid who like gets like a, a nintendo or something like he loses his mind he's like are you kidding me yeah 
right? That's what it should be. It should be Christmas every day, right, David? It should be Christmas. I'm saved. I didn't deserve it. And he gave it to me because he loves me, because he's a good God, and he is mine, and I am his. Amen. That is supposed to be our response. That should be our response to salvation today and every day. Salvation is not just for new Christians. It's not just for unbelievers. It is for every Christian every day. I believe that's the power of the early church. You know why they could do the miracles? You know why they were so bold? Because they had the joy of salvation. That's why David says, this is what I needed. This is what I forgot. I left it back there, but I needed to carry it every day. I thought it was just for the beginning. I thought it was just for when I was an unbeliever. I thought it was just for when I was a new Christian. And, and when I lost it, that's when I lost myself. That's when I lost my relationship. That's when I lost my fruitfulness. Oh, God, give me, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Because that's the secret power, amen? amen, that we need every day, that we need every day, amen. Number two, and I think we're probably going to stop here at number two. I don't know if we're going to get to number three. The second reason we can have joy, the second reason why salvation gives us so much joy is our identity, the identity that we now have because of salvation. The Bible says that because of salvation, we are like new creations through justification justification. Salvation gives us justification. Galatians chapter 3 verse 11, it says clearly, you know, when, he, when, when it says it like, he's, he's like, obviously, this is like, so, this is like one plus one equals two. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. He's saying this is so obvious. Nobody who tries to be a good person on their own, nobody who thinks that they can be good enough will ever be justified. You can never justify yourself. You can never be justified by being good enough. It is only by faith. What is justification? Let's put it on the screen. It is the event by which sinners are declared righteous in the sight of God. God covers all our sins and no longer, hallelujah, no longer counts our sins against us. That means our sins no longer define us. That means our sins no longer control our identity. Hallelujah. It means our sins do not define or determine our relationship with God. Amen. And so justification means that we are righteous now. There's the word. Amen. The secret power now. We are righteous now. Somebody said now. 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 Not tomorrow. Not next year, not when you stop that sin that you're sinning right now. No, we are righteous now in God's eyes. This is the reason why so many Christians don't have joy. Because they think righteousness is tomorrow. Righteousness is when they get better. Righteousness is when they change. Righteousness is when they start, when they repent and, and stop that sin. Righteousness is when they fully surrender to God because right now they can't give it up. No, righteousness is now. Because of Jesus, right now, whenever God looks at you, no matter what you're doing, 
No matter what you just did, right? And God knows what you did last summer. Hallelujah. He knows what you did this morning. He knows that fight that you got in with your wife. He knows those thoughts that you had, those lustful thoughts. He knows what you did last night when nobody was looking. He knows the anger, the jealousy, the pride that you have. No, whenever God looks at you now, God doesn't see your sin first. He sees Jesus first. Hallelujah. Whenever God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus upon you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become, become, amazing, become the righteousness of God. Not just like some grade on a report card. No, we become the righteousness of God. So he counts us as righteous, but we actually become our very being now. In God's eyes, we are the righteousness of who? Not you. Who? Not your mama. Who? Not Mother Teresa. Of God. Which means that we carry, we are counted as righteous as Jesus. See, in Christian theology, this is called imputed, I-M-P-U-T-E-D, imputed righteousness. When, when Jesus died, he made a way so that when we put our faith in him, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. The mistake is to think that when you get saved, God erases your sin, erases your debt, but that would be like somebody saying, okay, I've got all this debt in my bank, in my bank account, I'm minus, what, $10,000, $20,000, $100,000, and somebody comes along and says, okay, I'll erase your debt. But the problem with that is that it only brings you back to zero. Your debt is cleared, but you still have no money. Now you got to go make money. And that's what a lot of people's mentality is with Christianity. Okay, God risked your debt. He forgave your sin. Now don't mess up. Now go do good works. Go make some money. Make yourself better. Make yourself a good person. Make yourself worthy, right? But imputed righteousness, what the gospel really is, and I'm telling somebody right now, I, I want to do this respectfully, but you grew up with the wrong gospel. You were taught the wrong thing. You weren't given the whole picture, the righteousness of God. The gospel says that when you put your faith Jesus in Jesus, not only only does he take away your debt, but he gives you his bank account. Amen. Everything that is in his bank account, he puts in your bank account. Amen. So he takes away all of your unrighteousness and then gives you his righteousness. When? Now. Amen. When? Now. That's why there are Christians walking around with so much joy now. And that's why some Christians are walking around with no joy now because they don't realize that it's now. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him now and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Can you say that you have joy in your life that is inexpressible? Can you describe the joy that you have in Jesus as being filled with glory? And I would say that probably a lot of you can say, you know what, I did feel like that at one point. I did feel like that when I, when I first became a Christian. 
right? But then something happened. You know what happened? What happened was what happened to David. You lost the joy of your salvation. Somebody came along and told you, right, that's, grace is good. Grace gets you saved. But now, now it's all good works. Now it's you. You got to, you got to, you got to be good in order to stay saved. I don't know. Something somewhere, right, took the joy of your salvation from your life. And, and this is, again, this is why a lot of Christians, and when I say a lot of Christians, I'm not just talking about those kinds of Christians that you look at and you think they're not really, oh, you know, they're, they're not real Christians, you know, they sin, blah, blah, blah. No, I, I'm talking about, I'm talking about even Christians who've been Christians for a long time. Christians who've been in church for a long time, served in church in a long time. They were, these are the deacons. These are the elders. And I would even say these are the missionaries. These are the pastors. Even these kinds of Christians, people who've tried to be good for God their whole life, even they still don't know or understand how glorious their identity is in God now. How wonderful their position is in God now. And that's why they don't have this joy. Every day, every day, I can tell you that I am experiencing, right, constantly and consistently the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Of course, I'm still a human. I'm still weak. And sometimes I get in my feelings and I get into my flesh. But, but it's there always. Always, I'm coming back to that inexpressible joy because I know and I believe it's all about Jesus. See, a lot of Christians are living as if they are not righteous now. They are living as if they're still trying to be righteous, not realizing, not believing that they already are righteous now, all because of Jesus, now. That's where our joy comes from, now. And that's where power comes from, now. See, that's the difference of trying to, trying to live righteously because you're not righteous now versus I am righteous because of Jesus. And now because I am righteous, that gives me power to change. That gives me power to follow Jesus. That gives me power to, to, to live righteously. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Listen to how wonderful these words are. Riches, incomparable, grace expressed in the kindness of God. And here is our identity. Here's our position now. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. Is that how you live? Is that how you feel like every day? That you are seated with Christ? You are seated. You are positioned with Christ. So because of your identity in Jesus, you are positioned. Somebody say, I'm positioned. I'm positioned. I am positioned for favor. Amen? I am positioned. How can you feel like or think that you won't get the favor of God? No, you are perfectly positioned to get it. You are positioned for favor. You are positioned for power. You are positioned for in intimacy with God because you are seated with Christ. Hallelujah. Will God forgive you? Of course he will because you are positioned. You are positioned for forgiveness. And here, let's, let's start the piano. I don't think I'm going to get to number three. And so here's our secret weapon. Here's the secret power, right? We are living from, not for. From, not for. 
See, unhappy Christians are living for. They're still pursuing. They're trying to be. They're living for righteousness. I'm trying to get to I'm trying to be righteous. So they're living for it. But, but when you put your faith in Jesus, you can live from it. I already got it. I already have it. I am righteous. And that's my secret power. That's why I can persevere. Even though I keep falling into the same sin, this is why I can keep having hope even when there's so many reasons to lose hope because it's now. It's now. I'm living from. I'm living from love. I'm living from acceptance. I'm living from righteousness. I'm living from intimacy. Becoming close to God is actually not about becoming close to God. It's realizing that He's already close to you. When we pray, like, oh, I want to be close to you, God. I've learned, I've realized that when I keep focusing on myself, I keep feeling empty. But then God said, do you understand I'm already close to you? Do you understand that that's what the cross did? It brought me, I live inside of you, Jimmy. We have intimacy, you just don't realize it. We have intimacy, you just don't believe it. We have intimacy, but you keep chasing me as if you don't have me already. We actually already have intimacy. Somebody said this, revelation is not something that wasn't there put, being put in front of you. It's realizing what's in front of you has been in front of you all along. This is why the Bible talks about how when we come to Jesus, this veil has been lifted to see what's been in front of us all along. So the crazy thing is, is you've had righteousness all along. You have had favor all along. You have had Jesus. Oh, his great love and his intimacy being with you all day, every day, when you're up, when you're down, when you're in sin, even when you're in sin, when you're in weakness, he has been with you. There's been intimacy because that intimacy is determined by God pursuing you, God staying with you, God staying faithful. It's like, oh God, I want to be close to you. And he's like, I never went anywhere. <laughs> I'm still with you. I've been beside you all through the night, all through the darkness, all through your sin. It's all because of Jesus. Amen? All because of Jesus, all because of the cross, all because of the grace. So the question is, are you living with a now mentality? Are you living with a now reality of God's love, of God's grace, of God's acceptance, of God's righteousness? You know, I believe my powers became more powerful. My, I'm sorry, my prayers, my powers, like I'm Superman. Or my prayers became more powerful when I realized my righteousness is now. And I'm seated with him now. What a picture of prayer. Instead of like this, oh God, oh God, please. Lord of God of heaven, would you hear me? Would you hear me? Would you, would you please, please forgive me? And I know I'm sinful and I don't deserve this. Oh God, please, would you do this? Would you do this? Would you help my family? Would you, oh, would you? But the picture is not that. The picture is we are seated with Christ. And I can turn and look at him in his eyes. And say, Father, thank you for this favor. Thank you for you hearing. This is why David said, I know you hear me. <laughs> why? Because you're right next to me. I know he hears my cry for help. Because he's right there. 
And I'm not asking from a position of slave. I'm asking from a position of favor. I'm positioned. Come on. Are you living with a now mentality? Are you worshiping with a now mentality? Are you praying with a now mentality? Are you living with a favor mentality? Are you living with a grace mentality? Are you living with, I am a righteous, I am righteous now mentality? It'll change everything. It's the secret power of joy. It's the secret joy that you have been missing. Amen. The secret power of joy is now. I am positioned now. Amen. Here's the good news, ladies and gentlemen. You are positioned now. You are positioned now. You are seated with Christ. You are positioned. You are positioned for forgiveness. If you need it, you're in position for it. If you need favor, you're positioned for it. You're positioned for a miracle today. You're positioned for power today. You're positioned for provision today. You're positioned for blessing today. You're, pos you're positioned for intimacy today. You're positioned for breakthrough today. And you're positioned for help today. If you need help with anything, God is ready to help you. That was actually point number three. That's why we have joy of salvation, because salvation means that God helps us. He's not expecting you to change for God. He's expecting to change you for himself, to help you with anything. Even surrender is something that we don't have to do on our own. That's why we never have to be ashamed. That's why we never have to, 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 you know, be scared or fearful of God. We can come to God. The Bible says, did, did, did I put it? Did, okay, let's go. Let's go to Hebrews 4.16. Let's close with this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Meaning, He's ready to help you with anything. Whatever your need is, in your time of need, he's going to give you grace and mercy. But all you have to do is this. Don't run away from him. Run to him. Don't go chasing righteousness. Have a now mentality. I am righteous. I am accepted. So I can come to God now and approach his throne of grace now with confidence. Amen. That is the secret power of now for the Christian. Let's pray.